0: AgriTalk is brought to you by Case IH. Solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH, built by farmers. And by Grounded. Spray smarter and improve herbicide performance with Grounded, a multifunctional adjuvant from Helena. All right, it's a big learning day for us today, guys. We are going to learn as much as we can this morning about e-Rens, electric or electronic rents. And we'll get a status update on the RVOs ahead of next month's deadlines. And how might this year's midterm elections influence negotiations and funding for the next farm bill?
1: Live from your Ag Info Refueling Station via Farm Journal broadcast. This is Agri-Talk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Renewable Fuels Association President Jeff Cooper. Then it's former Congressman Mike Conaway. Right after the news, Greg Anderson from Drover's. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now the host of Talk Chip
0: Flory. All right, Davis. Yeah, thank you very much. And obviously, former Representative Mike Conaway is a former chairman of the House Ag Committee. So we are going to get his take on... What are the risks? What are the opportunities for the Ag Committee going into the uh, into the midterm elections? And coming out the other side, if it goes as the polls suggest, no guarantees, but if it goes as the polls suggest, what should new chair uh, Glenn G.T. Thompson be thinking about as he gets ready for that next Farm Bill debate? So um we we we're, we're, we're going to be looking forward uh to it but it, uh congressman uh, Conbe- uh conaway has a new group out there the conaway graves group and i'm very much looking forward to learning about what uh what is involved with that as well so dude rins mm-hmm. we've yeah. been looking yeah we i've been asking a lot of people saying can you tell me exactly what they are can you tell me exactly can you just tell me as much as you know about it? And people have been a little hesitant to jump on board and do this, but not Jeff. Not Jeff Cooper from okay. the Renewable Fuels Association. We are well, going to learn what he knows and uh, uh, when we get him on here in just a little bit.
1: See, in this bold new economy, Chip, we don't need to know how things are going to work before we implement policies. I think that's oh. where you're going wrong. We don't need see, to know. What, we'll we'll
0: what figure we it out. What we need to do is go ahead huh? and vote vote on this kind of stuff and then yes. we read it. and then yes we'll read it. exactly yeah that yep. was
1: groundbreaking thought back in the day <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's get to the news
1: well chip the u.s economy grew and annualized 2.6 percent on quarter yeah. in the three months leading up to september of 2022 that bested market expectations of 2.4 percent growth and rebounding from a contraction in the first half of the year The growth in exports, consumer spending, non-residential fixed investment, federal government spending, and state and local government spending was partially offset by decreases in residential fixed investment and private inventory investment. That's a lot. The apparent improvement, however, is largely the result of fluctuations in things like international trade, which do not reflect the underlying health of the economy, Chip.
0: Yeah, but the, the the thing to remember here is they did not change the way that they are measuring GDP from from the first quarter, from the second quarter, into the third quarter. It's all done the same. So we've okay. got a positive okay. GDP in the third quarter. That does suggest that we've got things moving in the right direction. Now, does that feed into inflation? That is a question that the Fed is going to have to try to answer, and that's going to have an impact next month for the Federal Open Market Committee meeting.
1: I would just remind yesterday my comments at the top of the show saying sometimes uncertainty can tip toward the positive. And here we are. Here we
0: are. Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) A European Central Bank, uh, the European Central Bank, raised its key interest rates by 75 basis points during its October meeting, following a similar move in September, bringing borrowing costs to the highest since early 2009 as the Central Bank battles high inflation and a looming recession. A senior Russian foreign ministry official said that commercial satellites from the United States and its allies could become legitimate targets for Russia if they are involved in the war in Ukraine. A Russian foreign minister accused the U.S. and its allies of trying to use space to enforce Western dominance. Russia also said that provisions of the Black Sea grain deal uh, to ease Russian ag and fertilizer exports were not being met and that Moscow was yet to decide on whether the agreement should be extended.
0: You know, if he wants to feel the wrath of the American consumer, go ahead and knock out our TVs.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That-, <laughs> that makes it personal. That makes it
2: personal. That's right.
1: Well, Chinese President Xi Jinping said his nation is willing to work with the United States to find ways to cooperate. Better communication between the two nations would bolster global peace and development, Xi said in a letter to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. His comments come before a potential meeting with President Joe Biden at a G20 summit next month.
0: You know, I want to talk about this on the free for all tomorrow morning with Wiesmeyer and and Redpath is going to be on it as well as you and me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this seems to me as President Xi saying, listen, you need to understand something and this is what we're going to do and you need to be okay with it.
1: Well, members of a third railroad union have rejected the White House brokered deal on wages and work conditions reached with railroad companies in September, raising the possibility of a strike again. Mm-hmm. Two of the largest unions involved are still in the process of ratification and should announce results in mid November. Uh, get this, Chip. The Biden administration is mulling options to increase the Northeast home heating oil reserve. Uh, this as supplies of diesel are are at their lowest level on record, and some East Coast suppliers are beginning to ration the fuel. According to AAA, retail diesel prices have been steadily climbing 50% higher than this time last year at 5.32 per gallon, Chip. Yep.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drover's. Good morning, Greg.
3: Good morning, Chip.
0: Okay. This is something that I've been talking about and we've been talking about for quite some time now, but the beef genetics used in dairies, the idea is to put more value into the calves. It's been gaining popularity. What have we learned through the process?
3: So one of the things that we're I'm looking into and writing a story about right now is the impact not only on the industry, but what impact is beef on dairy going to have during this time of drought as opposed yeah. to the last drought we had 10 years ago. So I'm trying to find a number chip and you know it I don't have hard data, but there's at least 1.7 of these million of these beef on dairy crosses that are in the mix now. And it's likely it's more like two to two and a half million cattle. So those are animals that are going to be producing beef carcasses for the supply that we didn't have 10 years ago, 10 years ago, they were straight dairy cattle. So that's a different product and get this chip. So the research from Ty Lawrence at West Texas A&M, so 60, 68% 68% of the cattle uh, yeah. of the prime cattle before historically were dairy. So now right. with the beef on, on dairy crosses, you don't get that number, but what you get is more CAB, for example. So we're mm-hmm. talking about better carcasses, some other things, uh, these dairy cattle, taller animals, they're leading to more bruising in the, in, in the atmosphere, okay. in the, uh, and the, and then the, uh, liver abscesses is, is a huge problem and huh. overall 68 percent of these beef on dairy cattle that are coming through have liver abscesses that's a huge problem for packers because it's a hundred dollar bill out the door immediately so wow. there are lots of things that we we are learning about these beef on dairy crosses and are going to have an impact on yeah. our industry as we move forward
0: Absolutely. It's something that we need to continue to monitor, especially the numbers. Thank you, Greg. That is Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. Jeff Cooper is up next right here on Agritalk.
1: Agritalk is brought to you by Rumenson. Rumenson's quality, consistency, and efficiency make it the right choice for your cattle operation. Rumenson, trusted by generations. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, Agritalk is live every weekday.
6: Welcome back
0: to Agritalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us. Hey, Greg just dropped me a note. He
1: wanted
0: to... He wanted to make sure that he was clear on something. He said, I inadvertently said 68% of the prime carcasses have historically been from dairy. That did seem high when he said it. Uh, He said that should be one-third of prime historically came from dairy. The 68% was the correct reference to the liver abscesses in the beef-dairy cross cattle. He said, sorry, just wanted you to know if somebody questions it. So let's just answer that right up front. There you go. Henderson wanted to get that fixed. So, all right. E-Rens, I've got so many questions, and I'm looking for answers. And the guy that hopefully has them the best chance of having them is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff Cooper, welcome back to Agritalk. How are you? I'm doing great, Chip. How are you? Thanks for having me back. I'm glad that you are here because there is a lot of just – head scratching going on around ERINs and what they, what they might be. So first, first things first here, what do you understand about ERINs and how would they be generated?
6: Yeah, well, I guess, you know, you, got to back up chip to 2007 when, when Congress extended the RFS and expanded the program. Uh, And at that time they said, renewable fuels made from biomass that are used for transportation can qualify for the RFS. And so uh, it's it's been known for a long time that EPA has been looking at ways to include electricity in the RFS. And, and so if that electricity is made from biomass and it's used to power an electric vehicle, it will be able to qualify to generate RIN credits under the program, but, but that's the easy part. It gets a lot more complicated when you look at how to actually do this In practice, and we don't know exactly how EPA is going to handle e-REN generation uh, and probably won't know until they publish their proposal, which we expect here in a few weeks. But, you know, our position has always been, look, if you're going to allow electricity and EVs to play in the RFS, uh, REN generation needs to be done in a way that is consistent and and transparent um, and is equitable, uh, with the way that RENs are generated for other re- renewable fuels. And right now, that is the party that produces the transportation fuel generates the REN credit. So in our case, right. the ethanol producer generates a REN when he, when he produces a gallon of, of ethanol. Uh, so whoever makes the electricity from biomass that is used as a transportation fuel, that should be the party, at least in our view, that is generating the REN credit. And then the tricky part is, how do they track? How do they prove yeah. to EPA that that electricity that they're putting on the grid uh, is actually being used as a transportation fuel rather than powering a, yeah. an oven or a stove or a refrigerator or a TV somewhere? And it's not clear how that how that part's going to work.
0: Yeah, how much electricity is currently generated by biomass?
6: I wondered that too, Chip. <laughs> not, not not a lot, not a lot. Uh, when you look at the the total electricity generation in the U.S. Uh, today, about two or three percent is coming from biomass, um, and, and again, that's, that's that electricity is being used for lots of things other than transportation. Um, so it's it's not a big share of the electricity that's gener- generated in the U.S. today, and we don't expect to see a huge increase uh, in, in biomass to electricity anytime soon.
0: Okay, now what about electricity generated by solar by the wind turbines,
6: uh, would that qualify? Well, we have been adamant uh, with EPA over the years that the law would not allow, uh, any any plain reading of the law would not allow electricity from solar, wind, hydro uh, to generate RENs under the renewable fuel standard. Uh, Congress was very clear when they wrote this law that biomass must be the feedstock for renewable fuels. And so, you know, it we're going to be looking very carefully at, at how EPA proposes to do this, but it is our working assumption, at least right now, that those other forms of electricity from solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, whatever, that those will not qualify for RINS under the RFS. Okay.
0: okay. All right. That's interesting. That that is a let's let's trust but verify kind of issue, right there, isn't it, Cooper? Because I mean, it EPA is. has had it has had a history. Maybe not this EPA, uh, but EPA has had a history of playing a little loose with the interpretation of the RFS. So we're going to have to
6: watch that very closely. That's that's a fact. And and again, I I, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I I don't expect them to try and. Um, uh, loop in solar and wind somehow into this program. Because I, I, again, I think the law is very clear here and they would certainly open themselves up to legal challenge if, if they attempted to do that.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, the other question that I've had all along on this stuff is who would own that rent? Would it be the owner of the vehicle?
6: Well, that's, that's another (laughs) tricky piece of this whole thing. And it's going to be interesting to see what, what EPA proposes. In the past, there have been people suggesting um, that the automaker should get the REN. And, and certainly we know Tesla has been in talking with the White House and with EPA and, and suggesting that, yeah, we should get the REN as an incentive for us to make more electric vehicles. And yeah, wow. maybe we could pass some of that on to the consumer and, 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 and help lower the cost. Some people are actually talking about um, using the REN as a consumer incentive for a consumer to purchase An EV, And I don't know how in the world that would work. What in the hell would would I do with a rent credit (laughs) if I go down and buy a Chevy Volt? So those are the sorts of things that uh, (laughs) EPA and this is the reason EPA hasn't done anything uh, on this yet. I mean, this goes all the way back to the Obama administration. They've been looking at this, trying to figure out how to do this. And it's it's hard. So, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what they come up with.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen if you walk into the pawn shop with an E Ren and try to get any <laughs> value out of it. <laughs> that might, they, I don't it know doesn't what the street work. value of that's going to be. No, it doesn't. I, it, I, doesn't bet it doesn't work. No. no I'm <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, Jeff, let's switch gears here. Ahead of the November 8 elections, uh, with with fuel prices where they are, ethanol mm-hmm. and biofuels in general are certainly getting a lot of tension, and at least in the farm state races. We're figuring out which candidates are willing to speak up for ethanol, aren't we?
6: Yeah, we, we, we really are. And it's not surprising to see uh, those folks who are stepping forward to um, talk about the importance of ethanol and, and other biofuels, especially at a time like right now where you've got uh, extreme volatility in, in global energy markets. And we've seen you know high crude oil prices and, and low crude oil prices. We've seen record gas prices this past summer we are seeing who is standing up as, as champions for renewable fuels in some of these key races. Um, and, and just last week, Chip, we saw 13 senators, uh, yeah. current senators um, sign their names on a letter to Administrator Regan at EPA, uh, really standing up for renewable fuels and, and encouraging him to make sure that the, the rules that we were just talking about um, yep. are, are, are good for, for ethanol and other renewable fuels and continue to support growth. In the industry, right. I, I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, I think the good news is that that even where there are some tight races in, in farm states, it, it does seem to us that in most cases, both candidates, both candidates, you know, the, the, the incumbent and the challenger tend to be strong supporters right. uh, of ethanol. And I think that really speaks to the fact that, that this is a bipartisan issue. Um, yeah. It's been yeah. and, in and our support, you know, shakes down along geographical lines more than partisan lines. Right, right.
0: Uh, November sixteenth deadline on the RVOs, the Renewable Volume Obligations. What are your expectations?
6: Well, yeah, that's that's coming right up, and and we knew we we're probably going to have to wait till after the election to see that proposal. That will be the same proposal that includes the EREN stuff that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the volumes go, we we are expecting to see uh, strong volumes proposed by EPA for twenty twenty three, and and very likely for twenty twenty four and twenty five as well. Um, all the signals we've been getting out of EPA have been positive. Uh, Administrator Regan has spoken about this proposal as an opportunity to to continue growing uh, demand for renewable fuels, and, and we think that's a good sign. But of course, the devil is always in the details, and and uh, we're we're going to be going through that proposal with a fine tooth comb when it finally comes out.
0: Okay. Got about a minute left here, Jeff. I'm just going to leave it to you. Uh, what else do we need to know that is happening in the industry?
6: Oh, we got a, a hundred thousand things going on all the time, Chip. But you know, one of the other big things we're working on is, uh, you know, how how are we going to make sure that retailers can sell E15 again next summer? We had the emergency waivers in place for this past summer, uh, but but boy, we got our work cut out for us to make sure that when May 1st and June 1st rolls around next summer. Uh, those 2,700 stations selling E15 today can continue to do so. Um, so that remains high on our list as well. Yep. Real quick, what are the RFA members saying about
0: a potential rail service disruption next month?
6: Oh, man, we we are keeping a close eye on that one, too. You know, my my, my opinion or my expectation is uh, it's a lot of saber rattling before the election. And those unions okay. are trying to, you know, use the election, the midterms as, as leverage. Uh, I think uh, ultimately after the election, I'll ratify that agreement and we'll get on with our lives. Okay. I hope you're right there,
0: man. Jeff, it's always good to talk with you. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thanks, Chip. You bet. That is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the renewable fuels association. We're going to get a market update and then former representative Mike Conaway.
4: Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares complete from Helena.
0: Joining us now is pro-farmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, taking a look at the grain markets, not a whole lot of activity going on, is there?
2: No, you know, wheat, uh, it's sprinted out to strong gains overnight, uh, but buyer interest has backed off, and, and uh, that's pulled the futures back a little bit. They're still trading to the upside, but, uh, you know, crop concerns uh, in Argentina, uh, that crop continues to shrink, and, and some questions now about uh, how much uh, the government will allow for exports coming out of the country. Um, you know, Australia continues to have the, those late season rain issues uh, that are causing uh, quality and, and probably now some yield loss uh, problems down there. Uh, so those are still supportive factors for wheat. But like I said, they backed off. Uh, corn market, it's now under a little bit of price pressure and, and soybeans are, are narrowly mixed here at mid-morning.
0: Yeah. You know, we've got crude oil moving to the upside again today, but bean oil is not wanting to go with crude that seems to be a problem for the soybeans.
2: Yeah, uh, we're seeing a lot of spreading action in the uh, the soy product markets today. And, and so soybeans are yeah. kind of caught in the middle. The the oil market, like you said, is, is under heavy pressure, but meal is, is trading sharply or solidly to the upside. And, and so soybeans just kind of caught in the middle with that mixed yeah. action.
0: All right, uh, boy, downside correction going in the uh, livestock trade.
2: Yeah, so hogs, I'll start there, uh, you know, heavy price pressure here at uh, mid morning and, and uh, you know, the cash index is down today. Uh, the, the cash index will be down a little bit again tomorrow, but that's not the source of the pressure I don't think uh, because um, it really doesn't justify this type of sell off. Uh, we dropped through the uh, below the 10 day moving average and, and really hit some sell stops there and that accelerated the losses. And that's kind of spilling over into the cattle market where they're still waiting on cash cattle trade to develop for the week
0: all right brian thank you buddy that is pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now
1: opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of farm journal broadcasting affiliate stations or sponsors when news breaks the news makers talk about it
0: on agri with chip Flory. i got
7: the
5: gun i got a for
2: Welcome back to AgriTalk.
0: I'm yeah, Chip. Glad that you are with us this morning. Davis Michelson, of course, is with us as well. Stand um, by. Yeah, got some heavy pressure going in the lean hog market. Didn't get to many of the details there, but the D right now is down 275. So we're uh, we're back under 86 bucks in that December contract. That's some heavy pressure in there. Uh, going forward it was funny how in the conversation with jeff cooper you and i had the same question at the same time
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) just how much electricity is being produced from biomass and you wonder you know he he also answered another question that i had when we're talking about can solar and wind i mean does that count right Um, right and and one wonders so i kind of got to thinking you know in my head all right if if I'm at the EPA and I want to kind of crowbar uh solar and wind power generation in along with the biomass produced electricity m- maybe all I need to do is is change the word.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, rather yeah. than biomass, renewable. suddenly it's like eco-generated. Yeah, or, or something like that. Right. Right. You know? Um, um but and he did that, point out there would be legal challenges, and I would imagine that changing sure. the word in itself would be a legal challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it would be. And and when we go and look at the intent of Congress when the RFS was passed, I doubt if electricity was included in the in the uh, intent of the RFS it may have been it may have been, you know it may have gotten some consideration at that time but it just seems like that is was was not on the radar when they were talking about things mm-hmm. like rvos i mean does does uh would would electricity from biomass have a a, a blending obligation how does it if it's going to play in part of the RFS, doesn't wouldn't it have to play in all of the RFS? It's just, you know, here's the bottom line from it, though, Davis.
6: Mm-hmm. I
0: was worried that we were just uninformed of how these ERINs were going to work. Okay. The yep. good news is we are not uninformed mm-hmm. with how the ERINs are going to work. We just need to learn more and get more information from EPA. All right, joining us now, former U.S. Congressman Mike Conaway from Texas, now a principal at Conaway Graves Group. <laughs> Congressman Conway, it is good to talk with you again. How are you? Oh, looks like maybe we're looking for that to open up the connection. Are you there, Congressman? All right, well we'll
4: we'll effort let this. Us, yep.
0: yeah Joe will let me know what's going on here as soon as, as we can. We want to get to that conversation with uh, former representative Mike Conway just as quickly as we can. Uh, the uh, go ahead and jump in on me when you when we've got him here, Joe and and we'll go ahead and and jump on it because there are several things that I want to talk to him about and a lot of it has to do with the debate, negotiation, et cetera around the next farm bill because there is so much discussion now about wanting to do something to improve Title I, Davis, and that's the commodity title, the safety net title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that is going to be improved, we're probably going to need to see more dollars on the commodity side of the, uh, of the farm bill funding rather than more dollars on the nutrition side of the Farm Bill funding. So let's let's see what uh, uh, former Congressman Mike Conaway from Texas has to think about that. Congressman Conaway, it's good to talk with you again. How are you?
7: Uh, good morning, Chef. I'm fine, buddy. How are you
0: doing? We're doing good. Good, good. Hey, real quick, tell me about the Conaway Graves Group. What is it? <laughs>
7: Well, we've got uh, Scott Grays, my former uh, uh, chief of staff on the personal uh, uh, side, as well as staff director of the Ag Committee, uh, formed a group to help people in D.C. Uh, navigate the various uh, things that are going on. We've got uh, several clients already and uh, working with, uh, with them to help them navigate uh, uh, the, the D.C. scene. So we're off to a good start.
0: Well, with the new Farm Bill coming up, it's good to have your experience back in there. What, what lessons did you learn when you got into farm bill debates with people like representative Peterson from Minnesota?
7: Well, the, uh, uh interesting enough, there wasn't a lot of debate. Um, we, uh, you know, worked with the, <clears throat> the two sides in the farm bill, obviously the, uh, the non snap titles, uh, all the rest of it, then they got the snap titles. We worked with all the members of the individual members of the ad committee for their priorities that they wanted in the farm bill, uh, deal. Uh, put those in, work with them, <coughs> made the necessary compromises to get that done. And then uh, G.T. Thompson and I made some pretty significant proposals to what we believe would be to better uh, SNAP, make it more efficient, uh, make sure that those who needed it got it, make sure that those who didn't need it didn't face the moral hazard <coughs> of taking uh, support from the t- you know taxpayers. It uh, really wasn't due them. Got zero support from them, uh, from our Democrat colleagues on that. And then we brought the bill to the to the committee for the markup, and uh, my Democrat colleagues did not propose one single amendment to the bill. They just en yeah. masse voted no uh, on the bill. So, um, you know, the lesson I've in hindsight uh, that single vote was probably a tactical error on my part. I should have brought several of those snap changes um, as amendments during the committee. Mm-hmm. Made those members. Uh, on the Democrat side vote against uh, forcing uh, able-bodied adults with no dependents to uh, work 20 hours a week or train 20 hours a week in order to stay on uh, SNAP. And uh, you know some of the other changes that would have improved yeah. the integrity of the program, make them vote separately on that as opposed to being able to let them hide uh, their no vote on those items uh, on other things. So that was a tad clear okay. that I made and, and
0: uh,
7: hopefully going forward, might not, might not do it the next time around.
0: Yep, yep. Let your lessons learned be the lessons uh, for for G.T. Thompson going forward here. Um, If the vote for the House goes as expected and the the Republicans gain control, what do you see the overall trend when it comes to spending? Is the GOP going to move back to debt and deficit cuts? Because you had to deal with, with, with fewer dollars for farm bill in the past. Well, that's right. I don't. I think that would be
7: the case. Uh, one, it's the right thing to do. Uh, either, either party should be about doing that. I mean, we've spent a stunning amount of money of our of our great 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 grandchildren's money uh, in order to deal with our issues that we have going on. And so, uh, I, I would expect the Republicans, to led by Kevin McCarthy, to start making some really difficult choices uh, about uh, about federal spending. You know, right now, Chip, there's no forcing mechanism. We don't have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution that would force uh, members of both sides to, uh, if you want to spend money you don't have, then you got to raise taxes. If you don't have the money, then uh, you don't spend it. And so I'm expecting my colleagues to do that. That will make the farm bill really difficult because I I would anticipate that that uh, GT will not be allowed to have new money uh, in the farm bill other than what the baseline is uh is going to provide and may, in fact, be required to uh, reduce spending in certain areas. Uh, Well, that's going to make it last base. Go ahead.
0: That'll that'll make it really difficult to do anything to improve the safety net with the reference prices where they're at right now, won't it?
7: Absolutely. And that's always the case. Uh, When you have zero money, then it becomes a uh, uh, a zero-sum game. If you want to do something with reference prices, then you've got to cut spending somewhere else. Uh, and so that will make some really difficult choices, you know, this time around, uh, versus 2018, 2018, it was about prices. Uh, uh this time it's going to be about input costs, uh, you know, margin squeezes and those kind of things. We've got a dairy margin program out there that did have some success. And so, uh, yes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard slog to, uh, to get that done, uh, under what I would expect the parameters to be. Uh, there's going to be about a $1.1 trillion nut on SNAP. Uh, and obviously, uh, trying to reduce spending that arena to, uh, is, is difficult. What I tried to do with the savings that I got out, it was to plow that back into, uh, training and, and job training and, and yeah. uh, work fairs that didn't work. That had no appeal to my Democrat colleagues. Yeah. So it's going to be a tough slog. Plus the fact yeah. I have three years to get ready for the 2018 fight. Uh, yeah. GT is going to have to hit the ground running because this one expires, in uh, September of next year, uh, he'll have the full calendar year to get it done because under the programs, not much happens between September, should be October 1st yeah. and the end of December with respect to an expired farm bill. But it's going to be a tough slog, no doubt.
0: He's up to that challenge, isn't he?
7: Oh, absolutely. He is well-trained. She's yeah. yeah. spent good time on most of the subcommittees. Um, got great experience. He's got a great demeanor personally about himself uh, and, and he's firm and strong, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not, a, yeah. not, not uh, like not a cockover or anything like that. So right. uh, GT is absolute. <laughs> and he's got good lieutenants with him. There'll be some good folks there that have right. that long time in the trenches that'll be able to, to help with this. With
0: this uh, Cong- redo, Congressman, uh, uh, less less than a minute left on this. And I want to jump into this. What, what do you think of the climate smart farming push from USDA and the use of the CC fund, CCC funds to finance it?
7: Well, I think it's, uh, it, that needs to be reined in uh, completely. You know, all of us want to breathe clean air. We want to uh, drink clean water, those kind of things. But it's such an ill-defined arena. Uh, I think money's being squandered there that uh, they shouldn't be spent. Uh, eventually, you'll have to come back through and appropriate the gaps that are, that are there, and, and uh, it's just a, it's wrong-headed because it's so ill-defined. This current round of, uh, I'm, I'm part of the background, I'm actually at a, at a presidio in uh, Goliath, Texas, where uh, <laughs> you know, the Texas Revolution. But um, it just it, it's it's so well defined. Uh, yeah, okay. They've thrown zillions of dollars at it, and uh, it yeah. should have been done. You know, buddy, better spend it somewhere else, or not spend
3: it at all.
0: Congressman, it, we're we are out of time. I'd sure like to stay in touch with you, sir, uh, as this uh, as this unfolds. Thank you so much for making time.
7: Godship, right, good to be with you, buddy. Thanks for being all on, right, being
0: man. On. Appreciate it. You bet. That is Representative Mike Conaway. Davis and I will be right back.
5: My mom's got a new case, IH Tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case, IH Tractor, can do everything she needs it to
4: looking for a tractor that can do it all check out caseih.com
5: from powering irrigation engines to warming buildings propane has always been a part of american farm life now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time
1: AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series, features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Don't you dare Davis Michelson here with down. Chip Flory, of course. A couple of great conversations. We started with Jeff Cooper from RFA. And then moved on to our old pal Mike Conaway, former congressman. Chip, quick little quiz for you, okay? Are you ready? Put on your thinking cap. Put on your thinking cap, okay? Pay attention very closely.
0: I'm scared, just so you know.
1: The question is, what do all these things have in common? Are you ready?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Balloon. Lasagna. Stability. Balloon, Balloon,
0: lasagna, lasagna, stability. stability.
1: Uh, And time expires. These are all words. These are all words. Uh, I feel like today's theme was (laughs) words. And what do they really, really mean?
0: (laughs) Fair Uh, statement? Yes, because as you as you mentioned at the start of the last segment, how those how those words are interpreted mm-hmm. and how the interpretation of those words are then is then used in in implementing laws is so critical. I mean the, if you don't think this is a thing, just remember it is. Okay, that's right. Just remember that it's they will nitpick over this stuff till the cows come home.
1: Referring to the comment by former President Bill Clinton, who questioned, well, it depends on what your definition of the word is, is,
0: is. is.
1: Yeah. Yes. Right.
0: So the um, the the whole effort out there. On the ERans in particular, I think is going to be very interesting going forward. But boy, some some really I think unique perspective on what is going to be happening in the House after the election. If again, you gotta you gotta include this if the election goes as indicated by the polls out there, and the Republicans take control of the House. Some really interesting perspective from Conaway, didn't you think?
1: Absolutely, absolutely interesting. One um, of the words that that kind of came up in that conversation, and yeah. I don't know if you want to if you want to get too deep into this, because I'm still kind of scratching my head. I always sort of have sequestration. Yeah, is yeah. one of those words,
0: right? Right, it didn't come up in the conversation. That came up in the during the break when you and I were talking about it. Yeah. But let's bring yeah. it into the conversation but right now because because remember when when uh when Representative Conway was working on the last farm bill, we were dealing with budget sequestration, which is just a, a it's a law that or law, it's a provision. It's a provision in place that says, listen, if you're going to spend more than what you are going to bring in, in other words, run a deficit, you've got to go through budget sequestration, which is a, uh, a hard cap on spending and a reduction in spending by a specific percentage point across all agencies, including USDA. And that's what got into it. Uh, And took out some of the spending. So, you know, I didn't get a chance to ask him about the ad hoc spending that that we had Mm -hmm. been dealing with because because if that is now standard operating procedure, how how concerned do we really need to be about spending limits on the farm bill if they are just going to pass another uh, spending bill to bring relief to agriculture and farming? and other areas of commerce in the country. It just, I, I, I think the message that I heard from Representative Conaway is that those days are gone. If the House is, is controlled by Republicans, probably shouldn't plan on so many of the ad hoc spending mm-hmm. programs. Interesting
1: yeah. that he said he had had some time to kind of get his head together Um, When working on the last one, Representative G.T. Thompson, in uh, Conaway's words, is hitting the ground running.
0: Right, right. The most important, you know, when we look at the depth of knowledge in Farm Bill negotiations that exited in 2020 with Conaway and with Peterson, and I've talked with with um, mm-hmm. uh, former Representative Colin Peterson from Minnesota about this. Sure, he seemed uh, Representative Peterson at the time that we had the conversation was confident that his party had the the um, uh, knowledge had the experience that was needed to negotiate and complete a new farm bill. And boy, uh, Representative Conway is clearly clearly believes that Glenn Thompson from Pennsylvania is more than ready for the task. He works very, very closely with Conaway and, and the conversations that we've had with, with uh, representative Thompson certainly indicate that he's ready for it as well.
1: Well, and to the degree to which representative uh, Thompson is coming in, hitting the ground running, it probably works in his favor, given that to uh, remove some of that ad hoc spending, just to, keep it uh, a little less complicated to try and get the thing put together.
0: Yeah. Yep, that 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 may be right, but boy the the rural urban divide is going to be on display. Yes. When the farm bill is negotiated in 2023. Um and and the reason that I say that is because from the urban lawmakers' point of view, and from some of the, re- the the rural lawmakers' point of view, they will not stand for any cuts to the nutrition program. Mm-hmm. They will not stand for anything that restricts the availability uh, of of that nutrition program. So, if if we are hit with some sort of a tighter budget for the farm bill, that's going to make it really interesting for representative thompson Indeed. all right thank you for listening this morning come back this afternoon ken morrison morrison on the market and we're going to have a conversation with jared bernstein from the white house council of economic advisors